Aloha, welcome to Talk Story, a podcast for the pilots of Hawaiian Airlines. I'm Secretary Treasurer Sean Lee, joined here by uh, Ted Hebert. He's the chairman of the scheduling committee. How you doing, Ted? Good, Sean. Uh, thanks for having me on today. Yeah, welcome. What uh, What do you guys do in scheduling? I just imagine it's like a lot of papers being thrown around with pairings and I imagine it's like that always sunny in Philadelphia moment where it's like the crazy guy with Charlie circling red lines around pairings. Is is it a lot like that? Yeah, we get the packet. We run through, um, make sure report times are good. Um, and the big thing now with Inner Island is, you know, having two long duty days on the two day trips. Uh, we look for the most fatiguing pairings that are built. And uh, now just recently, um, we have not been doing it in the past, but recently, since I've become chairman of scheduling committee, we've started to uh, modify the pairings that we can per our contractual language, which is a quarter of percent of the pay. So it's really not a whole lot, but we're um, making a little bit of difference and hopefully it helps. Quarter percent of the pay? What is that? So uh, there's a contract clause 21B7 says the scheduling committee can modify the pairings um, and the company has to accept them as long as it doesn't create a quarter percent more pay in the overall category. Oh, okay. Okay. So all three twenty one pairings can't shift up more than a quarter percent. Yeah. So it's for this, like for three twenty one thousand dollars. No. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, so for three twenty one yeah. and three thirty, it's really, we can't really modify much cause we would have to, you know, we couldn't make a three-day trip, a four-day trip. Right. Or I see, I see, I see. <laughs> you know, you we, can bump up maybe an hour trip rig. That's less than... Yeah, and I well, see. and we can't change the actual flight time. But yeah. for example, if I get... You know, the inner island ones are the ones that we modify because they're the ones that are most easily changed. Um, so what would happen is if there's a seven-leg day followed by a seven-leg day on a two-day trip... We could chop off, you know, four flights on the second day. And, and make that, that its own pairing. Yeah, so it would turn, you know, a 10-hour, two-day trip into a nine-hour, two-day trip in a four-hour, single-day trip. Right, right, right. And so Inner Island typically has about 4,500 hours of credit every month, and a quarter of a percent of that is around 10 to 11 hours. And uh, if you do the math, it... Turns out to be we could modify about four days of flying. Let's talk about the day-to-day. You field a lot of darts, a lot of questions about uh, just normal scheduling. Let's say we have a new hire that wants to learn the PWA. And it's not a very, I'll I'll be first to admit, it's not a very easy read. But what's the first thing uh, someone newly hired should look into if, if that pilot wants to learn about different scheduling policies a good resource that we have is the uh inner or the reserve pilot guide there's a inner island and an international reserve pilot guide and international means 321 and 330 it just means anything that's not inner island flying sure and it does say reserve pilot guide but it applies to a lot more than just reserve pilots so um that's a really good place to start and that has pwa references in it if you um want to go look at the actual contract language. 
What's a common misconception in the scheduling world in terms of reserve language? And what, what do people screw up the most on? A uh, big one is that uh, people don't know about the proration of your days off. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of people will say, oh, um, you only have 10 days off next month. And you look at their schedule, they're scheduled for three days of training. And there's a proration table in the contract. And it shows that if, you know, they have certain things, vacation days, training, and uh, vacation count towards what they call pre-assigned absences. And if you look at the number of pre-assigned absences you have, it will show you the minimum days off that you're entitled to. I see. Um, another big one is 30 and 7, um, which is actually a 30 and 168 rule. I'll, I get this one probably once a month or once every other month where someone called me and say, Hey, uh, they scheduled me for seven days in a row. They messed up. They're going to have to take me off a trip. But most of the time what it is, is they have a late start on the first day and an early start on the last day. And the FAR says that you need to have 30 hours of rest, um, in the previous 168 hours. And that's from the start of your duty day. So if you start at 5 AM on the first day, and you go back 168 hours, you actually do have 30 hours of rest before that late start on the first day. On 3.30, I ran into flight time limitations a lot because the flights are so long and the block time is so long. And uh, I know um, there's a few people who do, uh, they get bad PBS bid awards and they say, hey, how come I wasn't awarded this trip at the beginning of the month? I wanna go to New York. And if you look back in their schedule, they've already done for New York's or, you know, a Sydney and a New York, and they have so much flight time that they are, aren't actually legal to do that trip. Oh, the back end of the previous month is so dense that they can't really put more dense flying at the start of the Yeah, exactly. Month. So if you, if you flew, you know, 90 hours and, or I guess you did, if you did 80 hours, you did four New York's at the end of the month. Right. You couldn't do another one at the beginning of the next month. And then that's how you get stuck with a West Coast trip or something a lot less impactful is that PBS yeah. kind of forces you to take something that's Yeah, legal. so they'll, they'll throw a Vegas and you right, know right. or a LA or something that you really didn't want, um, and they'll put it on your schedule. Well, tell me about the practice strategy using practice bids. Is um, Practice bids really aren't indicative of what you're going to get on the final award, but it's a good indicator to see what your schedule may look like. And that, that a practice bid would flag that, that FDP restriction in, in our example. Right. And you would see it in the reasons report. Yeah. So a practice bid is good for, you know, trying out new bid strategies and then also seeing that, you know, if your practice bid, you're never getting that, JFK trip that you wanted, it might be because of flight time limitation in the previous month. Right. Um, and that's what I tell most people is you can't rely on the practice bid. You can use it to say, Hey, you know, maybe I'm going to change my bid strategy. Let's see what type of schedule will give you. It will show you. So the practice bids will show you what type of schedule you might get with that bidding strategy. But all it takes is one person senior to you to change their bid between the practice and the final bid to really change your entire outcome of your schedule and people like me who don't bid to the very very end probably screw up yeah what are else. you what are you hiding <laughs> I think i'm number eight yeah 
I'm I'm just a procrastinator is my thing and whatever. Well, aren't you special? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but speaking of like, if you don't prefer something and you want to do a bit of void, um, that's another common problem that I see is that someone will send in a, a question saying, "Hey, I got assigned to go to Vegas, but I put avoid Vegas." But if you look on their PBS bid, the bid avoids at the very bottom. Um, just remember with the bid avoid, you want to put it at the top of your PBS bid. The way that the PBS system works, it goes line by line. And if you say, you tell it to avoid, it takes away every single, you know, whatever. If you don't like Vegas, it would take away every Vegas trip out of the available pairings for you. Um, if you put it at the bottom, it's going to still go number one, number two, number three. So if you just put, you know, I want, you know, early starts or late starts, it will give you all those trips before it even got to avoid. So it, it could award you entire schedule. Before oh, I see. Yeah, because you're telling it award pairings if and it doesn't contemplate avoid. Yeah, so it won't even consider it. The and then end. it'll build an entire schedule. And then it will say schedule complete, and there's never even a thought in the computer. Well, let's talk about when you get awarded a line and you're flying and things go south. We had a pretty rough month a few months ago where there was a lot of IROPs, a lot of weather, a lot of delays. What's a good strategy for handling problems like that on the line? Uh, with crew scheduling themselves uh, to be proactive if you see something that's going to happen um, you know reach out to crew scheduling yes it's their their job to also be proactive and be monitoring everything but um, a lot of times you might notice something going on first and you know you get the ball rolling say hey you know I'm delayed on this flight to Kona you know four flights from now it's going to require an extension and I don't think I'll be legal for it. Mm -hmm. And then if you do that, they might book you a deadhead ticket or something. So you can, you know, do your flights and then deadhead at the end of the day, or they might just take you off for that pairing. A lot of times in the IROPS, they're, they're very busy and the crew schedulers work very hard and they have a really tough job. And, you know, it, it does help to, if you help them do their job. Sure. What about union resources when things start, uh, when things start getting a little worse and you're unsure of if your, uh, new assignment is legal or not? Uh, there's a few avenues you can go down. Um, number one is a dart. Uh, you can send a dart to scheduling or, um, CCT is another good resource. Uh, there's, I think there's a dart category for CCT. Right. Is that correct? Yeah. We just turned that on. So you do scheduling CCT. You could also use the CCT email, which is how CCT at alpha.org. And there's a lot of, a lot of eyes on that email. And then for things that really, you know, for the most part, if you send an email to the CCT, they'll respond pretty quickly. Or if you file a dart, people respond fairly quickly. But if you are running out of time, there's a CCT phone number too. Well, let's say you're you're you know that an assignment's illegal, and you know that there's uh, there's no way of you accepting the assignment. What what can you say to your schedulers to um, appeal to to someone else? I'm protesting the assignment. I'm protesting this assignment. Yeah, that's and those are really the words. You don't want to say I want to talk to a manager. You don't, you don't get your 
don't act like a Karen. <laughs> <laughs> you say I'm protesting assignment and it sounds a little bit more harsh than what it, what it is. All that means is that you're giving the scheduling because they're scheduling clerks and they're scheduling managers and the scheduling clerks could be new hires. They, they might not have a lot of experience. This could be their first IROP. And by you telling them I'm protesting assignment, it gives them the opportunity to talk to their manager without, you know, fear of saying, you know, they're them not being able to complete the duty by themselves. <laughs> you're right. You're giving them that, you know, that life raft. Um, if you want to call it, it that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you're actually helping them out because that could, you know, it could be a learning moment for them too. If, if you protest and the manager still tells you, you got to do it, but you're hundred percent certain that you're breaking an FAR, you can, you can remove yourself from the, the flight you can get have it so you tell them to have the chief pilot order you to fly but even the chief pilot can't order you to break an far sure sure it's a it's your it right really turns into it is a joint responsibility it is yeah. you, you cannot uh be assigned nor can you accept a non-far legal uh, flight assignment so if you know for a fact that it's wrong it it becomes on you to turn that assignment down Speaking of safety, we'll have uh, we'll be joined in the second half with uh, our friends from the fatigue committee. Uh, before we do that, though, Ted, what's the best way to reach you if uh, people have questions uh, regarding scheduling? Uh, go through the Dart system is good. Um, you could also look at the Hal Alpa website and uh, my email address and my phone number is on there too, and I'll I'll answer it. Uh, if you do call me, please leave a message or text me so I know it's not a robocall. Well, Ted, when we come back, we'll be joined by Fatigue Committee Chair Mike Compton and our Central Air Safety Chairman, Kathleen Scott Clark. This is Talk Story. Uh, We'll be right back. Welcome back to Talk Story, a podcast for the pilots of the Hawaiian Airlines MEC. We're joined now with uh, Fatigue Committee Chair Captain Mike Compton and Central Air Safety Chair Hello. Captain Scott Clark. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, Sean Lee. Part of the whole ALPA uh, ideology is schedule with safety, and a lot of that have, has to do with fatigue policy. We just wrapped next door with a whole uh, hour on the all-pilot call about fatigue reporting and fatigue policy. Mike, why don't you just get us start off and, and just recap what we uh, said next door? Well, thank you, Sean. Um, well, first off, it, we, we did the uh, all-pilot call in response to the FAA call to action. The call to action is uh, due to some uh, incidents, uh, just a review that identified an uh, increase in incidents that might be a precursor to you know something more serious happening. The FAA says, well, stop this trend. One of the ways to stop the trend is uh, standardized procedures uh, back, to, back to some of the uh, SOPs. Don't rely on experience to, to, to close that Swiss cheese hole to prevent incidents. So let's, uh, uh, one of those ways is to the FAA and uh, Alpha National has asked us is by increasing voluntary uh, reporting of incidents and one of the important reports and of course one that I'm very uh, intimately familiar with is fatigue incidents. Uh, the fatigue incidents have uh, have in fact changed recently to uh, under the new contract to also include our fatigue review committee which is a, a financial aspect but uh, yes our, our big podcast was talking about let's fill out those fatigue reports that we use them for uh, they're voluntary they're uh, non um 
non-punitive. They are to identify trends. They are to report when we've had a fatigue issue, whether we flew the flight or we didn't, so that we can get that data, we can get the information to actually make things safer. And I'll put the link to our podcast in the show notes. We actually, you all are friends of the show, so we've done a full half hour on fatigue reporting. Uh, uh, was it last year? It was actually some time ago, but I'll put the link down in the show notes. Let's just stay big picture, though. Uh, let's say I'm flying to Oakland and my flight's been massively delayed by some sort of uh, mechanical issue. I land late uh, and I know my report time the next morning has to change. Uh, what do I do? Do I wait to scheduling calls me? Do I call them? What do I do in a situation like that? Well, my recommendation would be to assess your personal fatigue uh, levels. Sometimes the first question everyone asks is, well, well what's legal? And that, that ought to be the second question. The first question is, what's safe? Um, what do I need? Uh, you know, I'm uh, keyed up. It was weather. It was uh, mechanical. It was a, it was a incident, uh, close call, whatever. These will all affect the amount of time that you might need to recover, to, to spin down, to then rest and get your, your, your necessary professional and, and uh, safe uh, rest so that you're fit to fly the next day. This can be a discussion with scheduling. Just call them up and say, hey, <laughs> this, this, this. I'm going to need an extra hour. I'm going to need an extra two hours. You're not calling in fatigued. Uh, that requires a 10-hour rest after you call in fatigue. This is a discussion to prevent that fatigue uh, call the next morning. However, next morning, if you're not fatigued, it's time to go. Then you're going to call in fatigued, and that's going to give you a 10-hour uh, rest period um, to do before you get any other scheduling. And you're going to fill out a fatigue report at that point. I, I would encourage you that evening to fill out a fatigue report about the day's operation, why it was fatiguing, what happened, why do you say it was fatiguing, so that we can go back and track those and we can maybe, uh, utilizing the fatigue com management uh, committee, uh, look for methods of reducing the fatigue in the operation. That's a good point, too. It's uh, you, you, I, I tend to, after I land, after a long delayed flight, I tend to focus on, okay, nine hours behind the door in the hotel. When you get to the hotel, at, you're allotted eight hours in bed. Right. right. That's the intent. And if you're not able to do that for whatever reason, like, like you know, a really hard flight just getting there, and you know, like, I got to go get some dinner. You know, I need to, I need to unwind from sure. this. Then I'm going to get into bed. It might take me more than 30 minutes because the intent is you get to the hotel it takes you 30 minutes to get into bed you get eight hours of sleep 30 minutes to get out of bed and get downstairs if that isn't gonna work then let crew scheduling know right because that nine hour door-to-door -door hotel is there for that eight hour eight uninterrupted hours. sleep opportunity exactly and you could tell scheduling hey I, in order to get that i need an extra hour to unwind because this or if you day. force this upon me, there's a good chance I'm going to be calling in fatigue next the next morning. And right? it's just suggesting to them that, hey, this could lead to a fatigue report tomorrow. Exactly. This is what I need tonight. Okay, so Mike, uh, let's say we've had uh, a really rough day or set of days like we did in December where there was weather and the delays. And uh, I had a couple trips where uh, crew scheduling reached out to me before my flight, pushing my report time later. That just compounded the delays to last the full day. If we occur, if we encounter a, a day like that, what's your advice to pilots about keeping stack, uh, keeping track of their own fatigue status? Well, it's very important that uh, we always report uh, adequately rested 
for the expected uh, uh, flight, and that's what we accept when we accept as a fit to fly. Um, you bring up an important point that fatigue isn't always just we had a long day that causes us to be fatigued. It's fatigue can build up uh, over a period of time, or fatigue can happen acutely through a, a, a one night of not getting any rest. As pilots, as professional pilots, we need to assess our own personal situation and be uh, willing to call out fatigue even before a trip uh, reports, especially if there's been a, well, another week like we had there in December where multiple days of multiple delays, these things wear on you, require additional rest, and they cause additional stress. So we call that, might call that accumulated fatigues. Although you've got enough rest over last night, it, it may be that uh, numerous trips have caused. And, and that's another reason to call in fatigued. Um, and there will be no, uh, no, no fatigue police calling you up, say, well, why didn't you do that? No, the company absolutely wants the safest operation possible. It's in all of our interests that you call out fatigued when you are unsafe, unfit to fly. There are, um, procedures for filling up fatigue report that you know we have the sick leave the fatigue sick leave that doesn't dock your accrual of sick leave these are all uh initiatives to try to encourage pilots to without any uh, pressure to call out fatigue when they're unsafe um, in fact the fatigue review committee will now review your fatigue report and uh, potentially pay protect you even if it was before a trip if uh, it can be shown that, uh, you know, accumulated fatigue in multiple days and these things are all to, in an effort to make it more conducive for pilots to call fatigue to, so when they are unsafe to fly. And I just want to share a story. I, I called it fatigued once uh, in Portland. There was a loud party next to my room. I went downstairs, changed rooms. It was like midnight. I called crew scheduling. They asked what I wanted to do. I said, let's just start the nine hour clock now. And on the spot, and he said, all right, 3 p.m., vans at 2.30. It was no problem. Just like Mike said, no fatigue police, right, Scott? And it's, it's uh, non-punitive. You do have to fill out the report, but you're not going to get Peter Clark knocking on your door uh, the next morning, forcing you to fly the flight the next day at your original time. Nope, not at all. Not at all. They have no intent of doing that. That's not in their cards. And And... And it's hard. We acknowledge how difficult it is for a lot of us to say, I'm fatigued. And it takes a lot to... And it takes a yeah. lot. It takes a lot to say, you know what, I'm, I'm tired. I can't do this. I'm yeah. going to make a mistake if yeah. I get in the cockpit. And it is not easy. And that's why a lot of guys, I feel, and gals, don't submit fatigue reports because they don't want to come off as being weak. Right. You know, and, and that's absolutely not the case. And just to be clear, the American aviation system is the safest, most complex aviation operation in the world for this reason, is we have changed our culture to emphasize the importance of the safety of our flying public, of course, and ourselves and our aircraft and the financial stability of our companies. It is unbelievable how safe, statistically, aviation is in America. Those days of the military of hacking it. You look at the accident reports that came out of that. I yeah, that a, era, I the 70s, 80s. and even tell you how many right. friends, how many airplanes yeah. were lost during that time. 
They lost more airplanes during training than wartime, and that has been true of every war. There is a reason that is the military. That is not us. That is this system works because we identify safety hazards, we work to minimize those safety hazards, and our professionalism rises above our personal, oh, I'm just going to have to hack this. That is not, uh, it's not just affecting you, it affects everybody, the company, and everyone you uh entrusted that have entrusted their lives to you so it's pretty amazing because look i was i was born in 89 and i look back at the history of commercial aviation i mean to think the world before foqa a world before safety management a world before any of this fatigue mitigation where if you didn't show up to fly and you said you were tired you're gonna get yelled at and to think that that was only one or two generations of pilots ago is pretty far out there. And, and to be quite honest, to think that we're still trying to fight for our pilots to call in fatigued for, for our fellow pilots not to fly when they're too tired or when they're sick. Uh, we do have a long way to go, but we've made a lot of progress. Uh, in this last contract, uh, 2023, we're establishing a fatigue uh, review committee Let's talk about that a little bit, what they do, and we'll, we'll wrap it up with uh, what the day-to-day world is like in the fatigue committee. Excellent. Well, it, we do have a review committee now, fatigue review committee. It's different than fatigue risk management program. It, this is specifically for uh, pay purposes primarily, although it uses the same fatigue report. So you call out fatigue, you fill out a fatigue report, put in there. We got a couple of pieces of information that we need you to add because the intellect doesn't ask as many questions intentionally. Uh, it's sure. supposed to be simple, <laughs> and it is. You just knock that out. It's on your PID. Um, it asks very few questions. So I'm going to need you to put in there uh, whether you flew the flight or not, whether you accepted a uh, flight duty period extension, uh, when you call fatigue, you fill out a fatigue report. The fatigue report uh, review committee, it's four people. There's two Alpa, two uh, company. Myself and Ted are on there. The company is Tiff's traditionally uh, Peter Clark and Ian, and they, uh, we look at all the fatigue reports and analyze um, whether we pilot should be paid protected. So initially, all by contract, all fatigue calls charged against sick leave as a fatigue uh, call. Fatigue review committee, try to do that once a week, and hopefully you'll never see sick call uh, pay on there because the goal is to do it every week and pay protect those that can be pay protected uh, Ty goes the runner on these. This is uh, very much the uh, intention Bob Johnson gave us that, uh, yeah, whenever possible, just, just pay the pilot, pay sure. protect them, because uh, we want people to fly safe. We don't want people flying fatigue. This is to encourage people to, to be fit to fly when they say they are fit to fly. Um, the review committee, uh, there is a couple other things in that uh, contract language that if you say I'm fatigued, as soon as you say that word that I am calling them fatigued, you're taken off the schedule. You get 10 hours of rest. That is uh, makes it a lot easier. Uh, before you say the word fatigued, yeah, you can negotiate. Uh, I need a little more time. But, but once you say fatigued, it, that, that's it. The discussion is over and you'll get your uh, rest. Uh, do fill out a re- fatigue report. You flew it, whether you didn't fly it, whether you accepted a uh, flight duty period extension. But in those cases where you were removed and uh, charged sick leave, that fatigue report will now be reviewed by the fatigue review committee. Uh, Mandatory by once a month. The goal is to do it once a week and uh, reinstate the uh, sick leave if uh, if it's not in the pilot's uh, control. It's kind of what it was before the fatigue review committee. And it's 
not a lot has changed. Uh, the committee's only met once, um, but that it, it very much is the, is the goal right now, is to tie goes a runner, let's encourage fatigue reports, let's encourage folks to fly safely and uh, pay protect them whenever possible. Well, thanks, guys, for joining us. Uh, we hope uh, this influenced uh, at least a few pilots to, to be aware of their own self uh, fatigue status. If they have a question, what's the best way to contact you? Dart, put on the assist, uh, safety and fatigue there. It'll come right to us right away. If you fill out a fatigue report and you want an immediate response and you're right on the bottom of that, uh, please call me. Uh, those things, uh, the intellect, it takes a little longer than, than uh, WBAT just, but we're getting used to that system. But a dart will always reach us right away immediately. All right. This has been Talk Story, a podcast for the pilots of uh, Hawaiian Airlines. I'm First Officer Sean Lee. If you have a question, send a dart or reach us at howcommunications.alpa.org. We'll see you next time.